But now I think people take it literally like if you wear black, you're depressed. If right. you have heavy makeup on, you feel dead inside. Or if you like these bands, you worship Satan. Like they apply all these stereotypes to the certain things that certain that someone is wearing or doing. So whenever someone comes up to me and says that I'm wearing too much black, I say it makes me happy. Listening to the music I listen to makes me happy. Wearing all black makes me happy. Drawing on myself makes me happy. And if it makes me happy, and I'd rather make myself happy and not please people than pleasing people but not being happy. Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. Uh, my name is Dr. John Duffy. I will be your host today. Um, a quick note on why we decided to call this Undo Anxiety as opposed to just the, just the John Duffy podcast or some other generic um, title. Uh, one thing we realized in recording these over the past few months is that we are all suffering some degree of undue anxiety, whether we're flat out anxious, whether we're depressed, whether we've had some difficult times in our lives, but we're all suffering something. And I'm finding that the more we share our stories with each other, the more we take taboos away out of our lives, um, the less undue anxiety we're experiencing. So we kind of undo our undue anxiety. So that's the idea here. Um, today is a special one for me. Um, I have, uh, when I started putting the podcast together, I had a little wish list of people I wanted to talk to. Um, and uh, and there's, there's somebody specifically on that list who um, is this really cool person, kind of an enigma to me, um, that I, I always want to know better because I always want to know what's going on in this young woman's brain. And um, her, welcome, Claire, to Hi. the Undo Anxiety Podcast. Um, Claire and I um, have uh, a different connection than I have with some of my other guests because she is my niece. Uh, she is my brother's daughter. So um, I'm so excited that you're here and thank you for coming. Welcome. <laughs> All right. So um, there's a whole bunch of things I want to know from you. So we're going to do a brain download, man. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, first of all, um, the, 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 maybe the toughest part we, we, we're, we can talk about right off the bat. Um, we lost your dad mm -hmm. before you were two years old, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not, I think it's unreasonable to say, well, when you're one and a half, what's it like to lose a parent, <laughs> right? Um, but do, do you have any even vague memory of him or, you know, are, are your memories things that you've heard from your mom or, you know, what, what are your thoughts about your dad? The main memories that I am told or remember are yeah. just things that he drew or things and stories that people have told me. I've seen pictures, and my mom has told me stories, and I think you've told me a few stories about my dad, and I'm basing, remembering him based off what other people have said about him and just putting the pieces together. It must be interesting to kind of create a composite of a person um, that you clearly, it feels to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, have um, kind of created this great admiration for, right? I mean, yeah, you, you've heard good things about him, right? Mm -hmm. And seen... You know, in, in a way, Tom's legacy um, is his work, right? He has this body of work that is this, like, wildly um, creative artwork, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and some of it is 
hilarious and some of it is jaw-dropping in its intensity, right? <laughs> um, and he worked mostly, um, in my memory, in, in pencil, right? And, um, and in, in, in a usually... A pilot pen. A pilot pen. Black and white, though, always, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. He was not like... Tom, your, your dad wasn't a guy who would, like, um, like your Aunt Julie, my wife... Like, he wasn't drawing, like, flowers and still lights and things <laughs> like that. He had a different point of view, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you share his point of view to some extent? Um, some of the things that he, as some of his drawings say, because I feel like his artwork is very metaphorical. Mm-hmm. So he put, and my mom even told me this one time, that whenever he was really nervous or shaky, he tended to put more detail in his work. So if I'm looking at one of his pieces, I can tell how he was feeling while he did it and why he did it. You're kidding. You know, that makes so much sense too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think we can understate, for, for anybody listening who, who's never seen anything he's drawn, when we talk about detail on a, a sheet of eight and a half by 11 paper, your dad was able to fit in so much like tiny detail where you're like, I could stare at one of his drawings for 20 minutes and then I'd realize, I didn't realize that this one face was smoking a cigarette, you know, or like, like there was such fine, fine detail. And I can imagine that, you know, like, right, sure, that mirrors your level of anxiety, you know? Um, what, do you th- what do you think of that? Like, do, is that true of you as well when you create? If I'm feeling anxious or nervous, basically the same thing. This is actually how I got the idea. If I need a cope, drawing is something I always turn to because it gives me something to do. And I'm able to do something because I love it. And if usually if you do something that you love, it tends to make you happier and feel better. It's kind of simple and linear, right? It's a simple task that can make a huge difference. And yet you have not, I I remember stories you've told me in the past where you have not always been encouraged to draw, right? Or to doodle or to, you know, right? Haven't haven't there been adults who've said like, you know, you've got to pay more attention in class, you're doodling, you're, have you had some negative feedback about this? Yeah, because I draw all the time. I draw my homework, I draw on my notebooks, and I I have sketchbooks all over my room and in my backpack. I bring them everywhere. And there have been teachers who feel like I haven't been paying attention in class because I am always doodling. I am clearly paying attention, but it's just that if if I'm not doing something, then I am going to have a hard time concentrating. Right. So drawing helps me concentrate because it gives me motivation. And having a teacher saying, stop, don't do that is basically saying don't pay attention in class. It's amazing, right? And yet, and yet they're saying stop, don't do that because you're not paying attention. You're saying what you're not understanding is the only way I can pay attention <laughs> is actually doing this. And is that um, is that anxiety management for you as well? Like, so I, I get now um, something I didn't get about my brother, your dad, is that that was partly anxiety management, right? This mm-hmm. like, you know, working in this fine detail that kept his kind of anxiety in check. And that totally makes sense to me because sometimes it's just kinetic, right? It's just like, I got to move and create and just like, you know, and that, and then I can focus and I'm not feeling that heightened, scary level of emotion. Um, is that true of you as well? Yeah, because if, again, it's more of negative feelings. If, so, if I'm feeling negative, which everyone hates. No one likes to have negative feelings. 
and you always want to ha- be happy or positive. Right. And that's me. I want to be positive and I'm a, I want to be a happy person. Well, I am a happy person, but if I feel that I'm sad or just not myself, it kind of makes me because I need to do something to make me happy. And if I is not right there, then because sometimes making people happy is the most complicated things. Mine is just simply taking a pencil or a pen and just drawing on something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I don't have paper, I usually just draw on my skin. I noticed that. So you you have some drawings on your skin now, mm-hmm. right? So I'm looking at um, you were just telling me a moment ago a little bit of Escher art, right? Some yeah. some like some of that perplexing kind of like try to try to track this triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's on the other side? Um, it's a bird, and then usually I'll have so many more like going all up and down my arm. But right now it's just on my wrist to my just my hand, just like two things on my hand. You and I have talked about this a little bit before, um, but doing what I do, you know, being a psychologist, I've had kids referred to me because they draw on themselves. Like there's this anxiety that I think school social workers and teachers sometimes get that like, ooh, there's something like dark and emo and, you know, like um, I wonder if there's some, you know, uh, intent towards self-harm here in this kid. And so they get (laughs) referred like to the social work office and it becomes that has this... happened to me four times since I've gotten to high school. Four times? Two freshman year, one sophomore year, and one this year. Claire is a junior in high school. <laughs> so four times, and this is a limited period. The window is not large. Okay. And it was always for the same reasons. Um, I rem- the first time freshman year, I got so mad about it. So I was doing work, and I think I was in math class, and I was just starting to get the stuff. And then all of a sudden, my teacher says, you need to go down to your deans. I don't, and I, I even said, I said, I don't remember doing anything bad. Like, I don't think I did anything uh, breaking the rules. Right. And he says, he didn't tell me anything, just go to your deans. So I went to my deans, and I have, I also wear a lot of bracelets, too. And... I'm, and so I walk in, and I have all these drawings and bracelets up and down my arms, and I'm wearing a Metallica shirt in all black, so I probably don't look like the ideal student to walk into the deans. <laughs> <laughs> and so she said, can I see your wrists? And I said, sure. Like, I was confused. I didn't know why she wanted to, so I took all my bracelets off. and I you, sh- you did not know what she was gunning for? You didn't know what she was I looking didn't, for? Well, I didn't, I didn't think about it in the yeah. first place. I thought she wanted to see because there were drawings underneath, so I was just assuming that she probably wanted to see them. She's admiring my artwork. And she's admiring. Good for her. She's admiring. <laughs> so then she said, okay, your teacher was wrong then. And I said, what? And he and then she says, an anonymous tip came in, and that made me sound like I was a criminal, so it made me really nervous. Right? <laughs> I'll bet. She, um, an anonymous tip said that you were self-harming. And I said, who said this? And she says, oh, I can't tell you. And I said, well, if someone's accusing me of doing something that I'm not doing to myself that can potentially ruin a reputation, I would like to know who said that. She ended up not telling me, mm-hmm. which made me a little bit more angry than I already was that she assumed that. Right. She was, to me, like, the when I was walking back to class, the only thing that I was, that was in my head, I was saying she was so judgmental and she was applying stereotypes that I don't even have. I found out who the teacher was. It was my gym teacher because I'm not supposed to draw on myself 
because um, he doesn't like to see it. Right. And he was, as she says, concerned. And I, I, I get and I appreciate that he was concerned, but I think he was being a little too over the top about me, like, oh, I'm hurting myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, so you feel like that was a little alarmist for mm-hmm. Like, he could, he could have just come up to me and say, hey, like, I'm wondering. He didn't need to go to my deans and my counselor saying that there's something mentally wrong with me because it just ended up being a false alarm, and I didn't want to waste other people's time. And how upsetting is that to you? You know, like, uh, I'm thinking, like, you know, I've had kids across from me who, who have told me similar stories. Is that really upsetting? Like, you're down to the dean, they're asking like you to expose your wrists, like to see if it, you've been harming yourself. I mean, that's, that's that feels like a little it feels violating in, somehow or something. It's an invasion of privacy. I feel, and even if I was, which I'm not, it really isn't any of their business of why. Because usually, if you see that on someone, usually I feel people the first thing they're going to say is, "Oh, there's they're mentally unstable. I don't want to go near them." Yeah, yeah. Because that has happened. Because one of my friends did that. And I love her. Mm -hmm. When she did that, I knew that she did that because she wasn't happy and she didn't know what to do. So she went to a therapist and she she was telling him all these feelings. And she came back to me and said, I don't know what else to do. This is not helping. So I went to one of them. I said, how about you try doing something that I do? Try drawing. And she says, well, I... She says, I'm not good. And I said, it doesn't matter. And I said, since you you self-harm on your skin, try drawing on your skin instead of actually hurting yourself with it. She started doing that. And for a year now, she hasn't done anything self-harm-wise. Seriously? Mm-hmm. And so what do you what do you make of that? So um, first of all, kudos to you. <laughs> for, 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 seriously, that, that's a really, a really clever intervention right like it's like okay if 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 feeling something on your skin relieves some uh some internal unrest right then i've got a i've got a solution for that because yeah does is that what drawing on you does for you you know do you feel like yeah that that kind of alleviates some some upset um or some unrest within me I don't know. I just do it because I either run out of paper or I just have an idea that I just can't lose out of my head and I need to do it on paper, but I'm going to forget, so I have to do it on skin. Or if I want to, and there are just some days I'm just I'm just like, yeah, I'm sad. I'm just going to draw on my yeah. skin. So yeah. I guess maybe, yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what the, I'm going to call myself out hard right now. because okay. and, and, and I might, you might not like this. If, if somebody was referred to me, 16-year-old girl, um, in the Metallica shirt, in, uh, wearing all black, <laughs> drawing on herself, um, my, my spider senses start to tingle. I'm so, I start to think like, oh, yeah, there's something up here. Maybe this kid's depressed. You know, I definitely make some quick assumptions. You know, I'm open to, like, investigating that, and I love people your age, so, mm-hmm. you know, I tend to try to work hard to listen, but I do make a couple of automatic assumptions. Um, how far off is my generation in understanding the Metallica-wearing, <laughs> skin-drawing person in your generation? Well, it's just I felt like when back then dressing like that was more comical or meant to be funny or, or something like that. Uh-huh. But now I think people take it literally like if you wear it black – you're depressed. If right. you 
have heavy makeup on, you feel dead inside. Or if you like these bands, you worship Satan. Like they apply all these stereotypes to the certain things that that someone is wearing or doing. So whenever someone comes up to me and says that I'm wearing too much black, I say, it makes me happy. Listening to the music I listen to makes me happy. Wearing all black makes me happy. Drawing on myself makes me happy. And if it makes me happy, and I'd rather make myself happy and not please people and pleasing people, but not being happy. But Claire, you know, we like our 16-year-olds to be in, in primary colors, going to football <laughs> games and flirting with boys and studying for, you know, studying for exams. Why do you have to be so different? Why do you have to be so unusual and so, you know, weird? Why won't you just toe the party line and do what you're supposed to do, what we expect our suburban kids to do? Can't you just do that? No, because I don't want to. <laughs> it doesn't make you happy. Mm-mm. Yeah. Do you think do you think you're alone? Do you feel like um yeah, I'm unique in that regard or do you feel like mm, no, you know, you you could pick, you know, a heavy makeup wearing guy or girl, you know, uh somebody wearing all black and you know, if you're assuming that they're less happy than somebody who is wearing primary colors and they're cheering at a football mm-hmm. game, you're probably wrong about that that everybody like i said you know 10 minutes ago everybody's suffering something and dealing with it in their own way mm-hmm. um it's something that i've noticed is that if you if you look at me yeah. you might think i'm like the saddest person in the world when actually i'm pretty happy i'm a really happy person you truly are aren't you i like smiling too <laughs> yeah you're not me- you're, you're not like um sometimes people say that and you can feel like they're compensating for something i yeah. had a friend who if somebody said um oh, I'm really like in a great place right now. When they walked away, he'd be like, oh, good God, you know, how bad is it? <laughs> how bad <laughs> is it? But you seem genuinely happy. Yes. Right? And, and you're right. I think you're, you're right that people might assume the opposite, watching you walk down the street, right? Yeah, and it's just that you can look at me and think I'm so depressing, but really I'm super happy. But if you look at a girl who's wearing primary colors or it's like every other girl as some people might think in society she could be going through the worst crap in her in her life right, right now right and often is right and you and never know what's actually happening maybe someone died maybe her parents are getting divorced maybe she's failing school maybe she, she's have has an abusive relationship with someone you never know what's happening unless right. until you actually find that out and get to know that person a little bit right in other words like i i feel like your story about being called to the dean not once but four times you know to talk, it's to, to, to talk about whether you're like in some kind of you know emotional trouble i appreciate the concern but that's overreacting well it seems like what you'd prefer is somebody getting to know you a little bit and recognizing mm-hmm. like oh so this is who you are this is this is just you're just expressing something fundamental about your character and it makes you happy to do it that way and there's not one way to do that the primary colors aren't the only way no (laughs) (laughs) and those aren't necessarily happy people you just never know if someone's happy or sad just by looking at them yeah because i for because for all you know again the girl that's like looks like she's happy she's laughing she's hanging out with all these friends and all these guys you might, and she might appear happy, but she's like probably like deep down really, really sad. Right. You, you never know until you actually talk to the person. How is it that you are happy? I, and I don't mean that in a facetious <laughs> way. I know for a guy my age, I know a lot of 16-year-olds. I don't know many happy 
ones. You know what I mean? I think it's a tricky age. I think it's hard to be that age. I think there's a lot of pressure socially and academically. You're a junior in high school. This is the toughest year. You got to take the SAT and the ACT, right? How is it? And I'm sitting across from a girl who's like smiling and seems like genuinely happy. How is that? I don't know. I just try to look at the upsides of life. And usually, because usually everyone wants to have something going on in their life, whether if it's positive or negative. I want things going on in my life, but I want them to be positive things. And I feel that, wait, hold on. I'm like trying to put this in words without making it sound really weird. It's okay. It can even sound weird. We don't really, I don't care. Um, I don't know why I'm so happy. Maybe it's because life is too short to actually be sad. Because people are like, oh, you're 16. Like, you have so much more, more time. But, like, I, one day, like, today I could be 16. But, like, the next day it's like you're too old to do all the fun things that you're supposed to do. Like, I want to do so many things. And, like, I like going to not life-risking things, but, like, things that give adrenaline. So, Fright Fest, roller coasters, things that are scary or things that have constant movements or is an event and a lot of things are happening. I don't, sometimes that's overwhelming to me. So like big crowds of people are overwhelming, but if like something's happening and I'm enjoying it, I'm completely fine. It sounds like you know yourself really well. You know what you're drawn to. You know what excites you. You know where the limit is, mm -hmm. right? And there's a limit, right? Too many people and you're like, <laughs> I'm out. Um, you're not socially insecure either. This is something you and I were talking about right, on the way over here. Um, this blows me away because, you know, like most most kids I work with are kind of Instagram fiends, right? And mm -hmm. trying to kind of create little micro-celebrity for themselves. <laughs> um, and and you, you told me like unequivocally, really clearly, no, that, I, I don't really care about – I don't have that fear of missing out thing. If I'm busy um, at home on a Friday night and I'm like – watching like an, uh, a 50-year-old movie or a 70-year-old <laughs> movie on Netflix, or if I am creating something, I might choose to stay in even if people invite me out. Mm -hmm. where, where does that resilience and that confidence come from? I don't really know. It's just that one day I was like, you know what? I shouldn't really just care about missing out on things because if, it's, if they, someone invites me somewhere – and there's a lot of people there, everyone's going, and I go, and I don't have a good time, then what was the point? Like, I don't feel included. So mm -hmm. if I'm invited somewhere and I'm not enjoying myself, I don't feel included. Yeah. Because if someone takes me so somewhere and I'm enjoying myself, I feel included and I feel happy. And I mentioned to you Fright Fest, and I keep mentioning it because it's a good example. My sister, sister or friend invites me to a football game, I will usually say no because it's not my type of crowd. I don't. I won't enjoy myself. My friends will be there, but I won't feel included. I don't have anything to do. Fright Fest, so many things were happening. There were roller coasters. There, there were people screaming. I was enjoying myself, and I was with my friends. I felt happy there, and I was able to say I had a good time. Having a good time is my idea. My idea. My ideal. <laughs> Of being included. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, and and you pay attention to that. So you won't just go to something because people are there. Um, you want you kind of gauge like, will I enjoy that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I I think in my experience, I don't think a lot of people your age operate that way. Do you? 
Um, not really. I I don't know anyone else who like I know a select a few that operate like that, but yeah. not the way I. But not very common that people act like this. Is it uh, the the people who are socially insecure and have that fear of missing out and like see a picture on Instagram of a party they weren't invited to or something and flip out like oh my god like I'm left out I'm so sad are are they enigmas to you are they do do you not under, even understand why they feel that way um sometimes I will always say why do you feel like that way why does that matter and they are like oh but everyone was there and all I can say is so there were a lot of people there yeah and what's that gonna do and usually they can't find another reason besides saying everyone was there right because for all I know I could just be hating one-on-one with my friend and she and I can do like the most awesome things i could be with a big group of people we could do awesome things but if it's just going there so because everyone's there there's really no point everyone is going to this restaurant tonight everyone's going to this party tonight i usually won't go because i probably base i just don't go there because everyone is there i go there so i can enjoy myself yeah so that's your gauge am i going to enjoy this I always ask before I leave or when someone asks me, I just think to myself, am I going to have fun? Am I going to enjoy this? And if not, if it comes into my mind, like, I'm not going to enjoy myself, I just say, you know, I don't think I'm going to make it, but maybe another time we can hang out. This might be a little bit of an unfair question, but do you feel like part of that idea of like, you got to enjoy life, life, life is short, you never know. Do you think that's a function of losing a parent at a young age at all? You know what I mean? Like, like your dad was what, 34 years old or so. And do you ever, do you think like, you know, Hey, you never know, man. Like, you know, um, things happen. So you never know how much time you get. So you should enjoy the time you have. I think so because I feel like, and this might seem like a really dark thought, but, but I feel like things come and surprise you. So different tragic events that happen. So my, me losing my dad, me having epilepsy, me having seizures and having to deal with academic problems make me feel, you know what, I don't want to waste my time on these tragedies because like soon I'm going to be able to forget them. So I want to be able to tell people the saying, oh, I went skydiving this one time. Oh, I went scuba diving this one time. Oh, I went on this whatever to... And I just am able to some talk. adventure, huh? Yeah, and I'm able to explain these stories. And this is I think this is why I travel with my family all the time. Whenever someone asks me, like, where do you go on vacation? I say all over the place, because we go all over the place. Yeah. Recently we went to California and every year we go to Denver for Christmas. We just like traveling. And I like saying that I'm able to travel because so many new things. And Usually, another thing that I like about traveling and able to just do stuff is because everything that is an issue or is drama is all left at home. It's there. It can't follow me. That's a good point. It's not. I'm not running away from it. I'm just getting time off from it. And I was saying, you know what? I'm not going to deal with it right now. I'm going to go do something else. And so when you travel, are you really able to take your troubles and put them out of your mind? Mm-hmm. Most of the time, my phone is off when I'm on vacation because... You know, my the, the social stuff that is on my phone is usually from where my home is. Uh-huh. And the reason why for traveling is so you can get away from being at home and away from other people there. So if you just 
look at your phone and all the social media, you might as well just like take all your issues with you. Well, that is brilliant, Claire. <laughs> Did, um, so what would you advise the typical high school junior about that? You know what I mean? Like about being attached to their phone and social media 24-7, whether they're here, whether they're on vacation, you know, whether they're doing a service project, you know, whether it's two in the morning, you know, and they're just waking up for a second. Well, it's just, I, I think every teenager, for the most part, I am even going to admit this, is addicted to their phone. It's yeah. something that you can communicate with. You're, you have the 411 on everything. But there are times that you need to take a break. Like, there are even times that I'm on social media and I think, you know what, I'm sick of this right now. Yeah. Uh, and usually that's like maybe an hour at most. I'm looking at it and it's like, you know, I just came on here to check something and I ended up staying on here for more than I have to. I'm sick of it. I think even people my age do that. We go down the <laughs> rabbit hole. We're like, why am I still looking at this thing again? Yeah, why, are we, why am I doing this? <laughs> but I feel like I have I have a limit of what I want to do. So if I'm looking at Instagram or Snapchat, I usually don't do it for that long because I was like, okay, I can't just do this all day. But I I see my friends and they're always on their phones. And I try to say, you know what? Let's do something else. Yeah. We were at Great America, and we were about to go on a roller coaster. And some, my friend was on her phone. I'm like, what What are you doing? <laughs> we're about to do this, and you're texting someone. Be in this moment. Be in this experience right now. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah? And I want to be, and, like, if you have your phone out for capturing moments, like with the camera, I totally get that. For vacation, I use my phone mainly to take pictures. If I go to concerts, I take videos or pictures of me like at the concert, I take place like pictures of places that that I'm able to say I went there. Now here's proof that I went there. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And yeah, if I'm really proud of it, I will post it on the internet saying, "Yeah, I did this," and I want everyone to know about it because I think if you want to post something on social media, it's something that you want people to know. Right, right. Good point. So like, I went to. A Metallica concert. The tickets were five hundred bucks. I'm proud that I went. And you and there's a pic, a video or a picture of the actual concert, or I was with my, or it could be from like a concert to just saying I was with my friend that I haven't seen in two years, and she and I went and got coffee. Right. Like something eventful and something special to you. Meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, changing changing the page just a little bit. You, you mentioned that you grew up with epilepsy, right? Yeah. And, and in my memory, it, you know, that's such a public um, thing to suffer, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you had occasional headaches. You know, mm-hmm. you would have seizures at school sometimes. Yeah. What was that like? Well, I think the main part was why it was difficult is because I, ha- I, I was diagnosed with it when I was seven. Mm-hmm. The first time I had a seizure was in class, but it was a grandma one, so it was the actual one when you drop to the floor and start shaking. And yeah, grandma's a major seizure, right? That's and I've had quite, I've had quite a few of those in my life, but I think I think it would have been less stressful and less tragic if I got it when I was older. Why? Because when I was younger, I didn't know what was happening. I was scared. Whenever I was spacing out because of absence seizures, I would space out, which seemed like five seconds, but was five minutes. And I got a teacher yelling at me. I had no idea what I did. I was like, 
what what am I doing? And then there that were, must have been so odd. Like I'm just picturing that moment, like a six, seven, eight year old kid, right, who just thinks uh, she's no, spacing out for a second. The teacher's yelling at her, and she's like, uh, "What? What? I, I had no idea." And then there were times that people are like, "Is it true that this happens, or this happens when you have a seizure?" And I feel like I'm getting attacked, and I don't know all the answers to these questions. So. If someone says, what happens when you have a seizure? And I say, and my response always is, I don't know. I don't remember it. I don't remember any of it happening. Right. Yeah. So anybody who sees it might be better reporter mm -hmm. than you. And I said, ask someone who saw it. Wow. Don't ask me in particular because I will most likely get really angry about it or like I won't be able to give you the most groundbreaking 411 on it. Is it traumatic for you? Like, you know, um, I, I, I've worked with people. <laughs> this is going to sound so strange probably to you. I, I had a girl referred to me a couple of years ago because she had witnessed a seizure. <laughs> not, that, not that she experienced <laughs> one, that she saw it and it was really upsetting to her. And she started to get panic attacks in the wake of seeing a seizure, you know, because she thought like, oh my God, could that happen to me? What does that mean? Is that person going to be okay? Um, you know, is it traumatic for you or not having any memory of it? Is it just like kind of like, I don't I even find, know. I find that having no memory of it is um, a good thing because I heard people telling me, because people that have witnessed have, me having seizures, they say that it's really scary. Yes. And I can't even imagine what that person must be feeling like. So it's like a favor, like, thank God I don't remember it. But the main thing that freaks me out as well is waking up and having no memory of it. I bet. So, so present, present, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that I don't remember it. But if I have it right at, or right after, I'm, I get freaked out because I don't remember it happening. Because usually when I wake up from them, I'm in an ambulance or a hospital, and I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea where I'm going. I feel sick. I, I have a headache, and I'm panicking. There's paramedics all around me, and I don't know what they're doing. Because when you wake up, your memory's completely gone. Right. Well, for me, it seemed like everything's gone. I don't know anything. And does it kind of own you? Like, I always wonder, like, um, if you have a seizure disorder, um, if you have epilepsy, are you are you forever? My, my analogy for this is anxiety. I, I'm a really anxious guy, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and I have had panic attacks. And part of the scourge, the difficult part of having panic attacks is you don't know when the next one's coming, and, and they can kind of blindside you out of nowhere. You can be sitting here, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you worry about, you know, um, having a seizure at any time of any day? I mean, or is it kind of mostly not on your mind? Um, it depends on the day. Like, if I forget to take my medicine one day, it's always on my mind. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm really freaking out today. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to have one or not. I haven't had one in, a few, in like six months, so it's like, so that's kind of a weight that's lifted off my shoulders a little bit. Right. But if I take my medicine, I I say, I'm fine. Nothing's going to happen. Forget about it. Yeah. Like, I forget about it sometimes. But mainly the time that I actually remember when I that I have it is when someone mentions driving because I know I can't drive because of it. Because, like, right before I was even supposed to get my license, I had a seizure. And I have to be seizure-free seizure for... I think nine months in order for me to start driving again. Got it. So every time you have a seizure, it's kind of like, okay, this is day one now, mm -hmm. right? Now you're 16, and so and your and your twin sister is driving. Yeah, she can get in the car and drive anytime she wants, right? So do you ever get ticked off about that? Do you ever feel like, wow, it's so the, what inequity there is here? You know, it's no fair that she gets to drive and I don't. 
sometimes, but sometimes it's also a blessing because I, I tend to speed or when I drive, because when I took driver's ed, it was the most nerve-wracking thing because usually when someone's driving me, it's relaxing. I'm like, oh, I don't have to do anything. I'm fine. I'll just sit in the front or the back and just be totally okay. Just chill, relax. But when you put me behind the wheel, I'm like, okay, so you're going to trust me with this. You're going to trust me with this. And... All this, this, this two-ton machine and your life and... You're you're trusting me with your life and this this machine, right? (laughs) You you think that's okay? (laughs) Do you trust yourself? No. (laughs) Not when I drive. (laughs) Do you think that day will come? Do you think like, you know, over time you'll... That that I'll trust myself driving? I'm waiting for that day to come. (laughs) You you know, I... I, um, Watching you, Claire, and you and I don't sit across from each other and talk very often, but I love when we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you do seem genuinely happy. And I'm thinking <laughs> about like, so so you talked a moment ago about these burdens that are on you. Um, I lost my dad when I was young. Um, I, I have epilepsy, the seizure issue. Um, I've had some academic difficulty growing up. Um, in a way, I, I marvel at you because you seem like you're really intact and you know yourself really, really well. I admire that because like when I was your age, I, I can't say I knew myself well at <laughs> all, you know, and you seem like you know what your thing is, you know what you're drawn to. And there's this part of me that turns to your mom because I, I, I think parenting all the time and I think like, man, your mom. My mom was remarkable. Talk to me about your mom. My mom is a remarkable person. When my dad passed away, um, I'm I like I'm mind blown on how she was able to raise m- my sister and I because we're a handful. We're difficult. <laughs> I, I drive my mom crazy sometimes, and I and I and it's just the way my mom handles situations. So one thing about my mom that she does that she does so well, she knows how to handle a situation that's intense that's all of a sudden, she doesn't panic very easily. She, when my dad passed away, I in her head, I think she was thinking, what do I do now? Like, sure. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. She's young, right? She's she, got she these young. two she, little she, tiny she, she girls. She's two kids, and she was probably in, like, what do I do now? Yeah. My mom was able to find all these ways to benefit herself, yet also benefit her kids. She was able to find happiness for the three of us. And my friend Christy, actually, when I told him stories about my mom and how funny, how curious she is, how much she wants to live life and how much she's, she, how she's this remarkable person, my, my friend Christy comes over all the time and she calls my mom, her mom too, her second mom, because she's that awesome. My friends adore my mom because usually my friends are terrified of parents. My mom is the most patient, except driving-wise. <laughs> she doesn't have any, but she, she has patience. She has tolerance. She has all these remarkable qualities to her. I can't even describe it. I can tell. I'm, I'm just like, I can't even express words with it. Um, rarely have I heard a teenager honor their parent in that way. Um, do you... Uh, is, is she a role model for you? Do you feel like, hey, man, I want I want as much of my mom in me as I can? Or do you feel like, no, she allows me to be myself, to be very different than her? 
she um she wants me to be different she wants me to be my own person and i and that she, her saying that is what makes me look up to her in a way i look up to her saying claire be different it's okay so i look up with her, up to her saying that to me which makes me feel good about myself mm-hmm. and my mom constantly says that to me she says it's okay to not be like every other girl because sometimes i come home and, I, and I'm upset, and I, I was like, people don't like me, or something like that. And she says, those are not the right people then. Because true friends and people that that you make truly happy will be happy because you're, you're you. And that doesn't feel like she's just BSing you. No, you, she, you, you no feel she's, like be, she's being legit. She's being honest. She's being yeah. honest about it. Yeah. Because usually there are people like, Oh, you just be you, and and they're like doing it in a comfortable way. My mom's like, deal with it. I mean, they'll have to put up with you then because you're yourself. And if they don't like it, then that sucks for them because they're missing out on you. And that's a good thing because my mom makes me feel like I'm a really good person, and I really want to have that feeling because there are always those people that are saying, oh, like I don't like you. You're such this awful person. But my mom is always saying. That I'm a remarkable person and that I'm awesome. And mm-hmm. I love to hear that from her. You know, Claire, um, th- this is this is the most beautiful moment. I Earlier this week, I, I, I spoke to a group of parents, a um, big group of parents, about, about character. And the question was, like, are we, are we fostering character in our kids? Like, are they good people, you know? And a lot of people were there, I think, they're because there was this, like, hint of anxiety. Like, am I raising, like, you know... Um, uh, somebody who's narcissistic or egotistical or a sociopath, and I, I love think every, this. I think every parent has that little anxiety, saying, "Am I doing a good job raising this child?" And yet, when you describe your mom, it sounds like she almost organically, like you know, the goal being like, "I want you to feel like you're a good person," because she fundamentally knows you are. It doesn't matter if you're drawing on your skin. It doesn't matter if you're getting an A in math, right? It doesn't matter. If um, your art isn't, um, uh, you know, all florals and pastels, uh, she honors who you are as a human being. And that's what I feel like that's the best quality that a parent can have. Talk to me. Like if you were talking. <laughs> so so I know this would make you anxious, but let's say you were talking to that room full of parents. Let's say I had. Oh God. I said, hey, everybody, my niece Claire is here. Here she comes. She has a message for you based on the way she's been parented. What would you say to people? The way my mom parented me was she made sure I had a lot of freedom and I was able to experiment with the way I look, with just different things. She was welcoming to new opportunities, to different choices that I've made. She's accepted mistakes that I've made. She's been with me through thick and thin, all of which she told me that I was a good person and encouraging me. That's all apparent. Not all parent really needs to do, but if you encourage your kid and you tell them that they're a good person, that will change them a lot. Here's what I want anybody listening to do. I want you to rewind 30 seconds and <laughs> listen to what Claire just said about 50 times until it is drilled into your mind. Because that, I think, I think sometimes that is the main thing you want to do as a parent. And parents forget this because we get we freak out because we want our kids to get in the best colleges and we want our kids to be normal with air quotes around it, you know? And we, we, we freak out when our kid deviates at all from the norm and we try to get them back in this lane instead of honoring the lane that is theirs. And you're telling me 
Yeah, my mom always honored my lane and said, you're a good person, you're an individual, I, I respect that in you, you know, and that, that is the, that is the best thing I think a parent can do. I love the way you said that. That is beautiful. Um, and she did it alone. I mean, she's, and she instilled this joy in you, right? I can, you, you feel like a joyful human being to me. Whenever I tell my mom, I said, you raised my sister and I all by yourself and that's remarkable. And she says, oh, but I had like other people, like I had my cousin Tom, I had my best friend Lee. And I said, yeah, you had help, but mainly it was all you. You did this. You were put in a situation, your husband died and you're like, okay, what do I do? And she didn't have a plan. She did it day by day. She just w was like, okay, I have to focus on this today. I have to make, like, see what I need to do. I need to see, like, she doesn't panic in situations. So in the morning, she's not like, okay, I have to get my kids ready for school. Oh my God, I'm late for work. She, she calmly, she's calm in situations. She's, she'll wake me up in the morning and says, okay, get up. You have school soon. And she'll get ready. She'll come up and see if we actually got up. And if we didn't, she screams, school, you have to go to it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. We're it's not kinda, negotiating here. School's not, happening this, now, today. And she and, on, and honestly, my mom has put so many people before her. I feel like she needs to just think of herself lately because she thinks of everyone else, but she always puts herself last. And I admire that because that's a really good quality to put others first. Uh -huh. But also, she doesn't, like, spoil herself sometimes. She spoils me and my sister very nicely. Like, she does it norm, like, not normally, but she has a limit to it. So she might take us on a shopping spree or something like right. that. Or she'll take us out to dinner. Yeah. And, I, and we all love that. It's all joys in life. But... It has to happen every once in a while because if it happens all the time, uh, it just gets annoying or it just sinks in thinking like this is a normal thing. It's a treat to have. And my mom treats me all the time, both with her parenting and her just spoiling me sometimes. It, it, it's striking to me because, first of all, you're right. Like raising you and your sister probably was complicated. You guys are twins, but like we were talking about, um, we sometimes we make the mistake of thinking twins are similar because they look remotely alike. But I, I feel like as soon as my sister and I were born, my mom automatically knew we were going to be different. <laughs> you'll, think, not, you'll not meet two more different people, I, right? I think my mom automatically knew. She's a, she uh, she knew. Well, she I remember her talking about your personalities being markedly different when you were very very young. Um, but I can imagine that this could have gone a very very different way. You know from from the day your dad died, I can imagine that you could have been a household of three that was very insular and sad and just making it through day to day, right? This could have been, you know, that, that, could, have, that could have been the tone of your lives together. And I think because your mom decided, mm, no, that we're, life, life is life. It goes on and we're going to live it and we're going to live it big. And I'm going to honor these girls and create this world for them. I feel like now there are three really, really strong, capable, individual women who, where, where there could have been just kind of this crater of sadness, you know? And yet, you know, you and I have been sitting here for, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. We haven't talked much about sadness, you know? You don't <laughs> seem like that's a big, prominent part of your life. 
And my mom said to me, well, a few people have said this to me, um, but my mom says to me once, I think my Christy, my friend Christy says to me like multiple times, they said, you're smiling a lot lately because for the past year I haven't been smiling a lot and they were always wondering if I was sad. Main reason why was I had braces. I don't want to smile having braces. <laughs> so as soon as I got them off, people are saying, oh, you look so much happier. I'm like, it's because I'm smiling more because I'm not ashamed of my teeth now. Wow, amazing. So, so like themes I'm hearing are as for, for us adults at the very least, and maybe for other kids too, don't make, don't make too many assumptions about people, especially if they're negative, because mm -hmm. by and large, people are decent and trying to, and pretty good and trying to just get through and honor their individuality because everybody's different. And there's something cool about that. If everyone were the same, the world would be pretty drab. Is that fair to mm -hmm. say? And for parents, I think I hear you saying, you know, um, be strong and honor in, in the same way, almost the same message. Honor the people your children are becoming and support them and always let them know on the worst day that you're a good person. You know, you may have done something horrible today. You, you might have killed someone, but you're, you're, a, good, you're a good person. I know me. you and fundamentally mm -hmm. you are good. I think parents forget that sometimes, you know? I feel like if a kid makes a mistake or a bad choice, so uh, let's say... You, this woman has a son, he crashed the car. Right. And it wasn't his, it was um, his, his mom's. Right. And she gets really mad. She's like, I can't believe you did that. I can't, like, I'm so mad at you for it. I hate you. She might do that out of spite and anger, but teenagers, and I recognize this as myself because I've actually acknowledged it, we take it literally. We don't care what the emotion is. We take it literally like we will legit sit, think, oh my God, she hates me. I can't believe like I really did something bad. But if it's out of spite and anger, and I, I know that, so yeah. I'm like trying to say, you know, it's just out of anger. They're not really going to mean it. They're just really upset about it. So, But later, if you don't say anything, like let's say you walk away mm -hmm. just to cool down if you don't say you know what I'm really sorry about it and I really didn't think that of you if you don't acknowledge what you say to reassure them that you didn't mean it people are gonna think you actually mean it so that's why you that's why if you did something terrible you say usually say I'm sorry so you can tell someone that you truly are I want to make sure I understand this because this feels important so fundamentally I think you're saying um, if you've done something wrong and a parent comes to you and they say something nasty about how awful you are, you know, you're this, you're a terrible kid. You're Whether the it's grades or something like whatever, that. Right, yeah, grades or, you know, drinking or doing drugs or, you know, whatever. Um, if you don't, if you don't repair that, if you don't go back and say, uh, and, and nuance your reaction, right? So you're, mm -hmm. so you, you're even saying, I can understand having a really strong negative reaction to that screaming, yelling, you know, you know, um, and calling your kid the worst. Like that happens sometimes. Parenting mistakes happen and we lose it. And you're saying, come back to your kid and tell them, you know, they're a good person. Mm -hmm. Connect with them again. Because they, if you don't, you're a good person, but you made a bad decision. Right. And, and you have to learn from that. Decisions that you make don't always 
identify the person you are. You are, I've been told that I am a good person. I myself think I am a really good person. And I've been told that, but everyone makes bad decisions. You can, there's a kid, kid in one of my classes, straight A's, and is like, been, is a genius. Mm-hmm. But he's terrible. He's a mean person. He's very disrespectful. Right. So you can be disres- disrespectful in everything, but you could be getting the best grades. Right. And my mom said this to me. She said, she said, because a lot of people were judging me because of the way I looked, she said, the most kind and sweetest person you know could be covered in tattoos and piercings and is dark looking, while the most ignorant person goes to church every Sunday. Oof. <laughs> there is some wisdom in there, man. Um, Claire, I, I, I'm so thrilled with the way this went, and it's so different than what I thought. Um, <laughs> thank you for for talking with me. This has been fun, and will you do this again? Oh yeah. Awesome. Um, listen twice to the wisdom of the great Claire Duffy, um, <laughs> and thank you again for being here. Um, you guys can find this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, LiveLeadPlay.com, um, and WGN+. Um, there is, uh, if you are interested and you are a parent, there is a free parenting video series on my website, which is drjohnduffy.com. If you have thoughts, questions, comments, or you know somebody um, who would like to be on this uh, podcast or if you would like to be a guest on this podcast, uh, please be sure to write me at John G. Duffy at drjohnduffy.com on behalf of my beautiful niece, Claire, who I love. Thank you for being here again. Um, uh, and myself, uh, I thank you for your time, and I will talk to you next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye.